Let's take our seats and pray together. Father in heaven, we believe that there will be a day uh, when our faith is made sight and we will see with eyes um, the very face of Jesus Christ and, and the whole earth will be filled with your glory as the waters cover the sea. Lord God, we long for that day where the kingdom will come and your will will be finally made done and you will make all things new. And until that day, we're waiting, Lord God. And it is hard to walk by faith and it is easy to get distracted by your sight. Yet we give thanks, Father, that you have given us your spirit. We give thanks, Father, that the spirit is our helper who brings to understanding all things that Christ taught us and who reveals the things that have been freely made known in your word. So though we wait for that day when we will see you shining bright as the sun, Lord, we are grateful that now when we look into the scriptures, we can hear the word of Christ preached. And as we see Christ in the scriptures, we see your shining glorious face. And no veil is uh, keeping us from seeing that. But with unveiled eyes, we can be, uh, see your glory and be transformed into that same image, Lord God. So, Father, this is what we bring ourselves to now. And in order to be able to enjoy that fully, we need your spirit. We need that helper. So I pray for each of us now, for each soul here in this room, and for each one watching online, that your spirit, Lord God, would help, that your spirit would instruct, convict where needed, and guide so that the compass of your word might lead us forward in faith, and we might endure till that day when you do come back and make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 8, will be the passage that together we're going to consider today. Uh, hobbies have been changing for me as I've been progressing in age, and most recently hobbies have been kind of had a functional value to it, right? I've given my time for my hobbies for the things that actually um, are kind of necessary in life right now. Uh, cooking and exercise predominantly are the ways that I'm able to spend my hobbies. Cooking has been fun. I got a new knife and I didn't realize how dull my old knife was until I nicked myself about 8,000 times on my hands. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. But in the busy world that I live in, I've realized what the appeal nowadays are for those like pre-made, delivered-to-your-door meal prep kits. I wonder if anyone, anyone used those before those meal plans, HelloFresh, things like that. You just order the food, don't have to do the groceries. It comes right to your home. You open it up. All the exact ingredients are right there as you needed with a recipe, and you just need to start cooking. All the preparation is done for you. Um, sometimes I feel like I could use that. I tried in my cooking hobby. Right now I'm trying to perfect Balinese sauce. So I'm cooking the same thing like once a week or once every two weeks. But the thing about Lanise sauce is that it requires a lot of preparation. Uh, it takes about an hour to prepare all the ingredients. It takes hours to allow all the ingredients to stew together, to have the perfect sauce for my lasagna or for homemade noodles with Parmesan cheese and 
The other day I, I tried to do it again, but when my wife is out supply teaching and I'm at home with a three-year-old and a near two-year-old, I don't have a lot of time for preparation. And it just was not as good as I normally would like it to be. The busyness, the distractedness of our life, yeah, maybe HelloFresh uh, uh, kind of makes sense nowadays. And for our faith as well, the busyness and the distractedness in our always connected, always online life can make preparing for when uh, preparation for when life hits us to be really hard. You can't prepare for um, a health crisis. You can't prepare for challenges with your kids. You, we can't prepare, really, for the times that suffering hits us hard. But today's passage today is going to show us what we need so that we can proactively be prepared for when the unexpected sufferings and hardships come so that we can endure through it. This is what God, the message is about today. God's word is enough for us to endure. God's word is enough for us to be prepared for whatever life might bring. In the sufferings and the hardships that we can't expect, God's word is enough for our endurance. So the question that we need to ask then is, are you prioritizing it? God's word is enough for our endurance. Are you prioritizing it? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 8 outlines the way that we must prioritize God's word in our life and the reasons why we must prioritize God's word in our life. So let's look at the passage together. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 8. It says this. I charge you... In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hardship, suffering, it's going to come and you can't expect it. But we can be prepared. God's word is enough for our endurance Are you prioritizing it? Let's see how this text tells us the way that we must prioritize God's word in our life. I see three, but the first two kind of go back into the context of the preceding passage. Look at verse 14 of chapter 3. 
Paul tells Timothy in chapter 3, verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The way we must prioritize God's word is by learning it. Paul told Timothy that he must remember how he learned God's word and continue in it. That means regular, personal study and meditation with prayer. That means consistent fellowship, meditating on God's word with other Christians. It means weekly hearing it taught and proclaimed to you as we gather together at church. If we're going to prioritize God's word, we need to learn it and we need to trust it. This past year brought a lot of unprecedented choices and challenges that each of us came face to face with that none of us expected. How many of us were prepared for them? And a year past this whole crisis that our entire world has gone through, individually, we're still processing through lots of different things. What are the choices and situations that you are being faced with right now? In your marriage or your family or your business, with your friends or at your job? Where do you turn when you come face to face with the unexpected? We can often be weighed down with confusion about the present, regret about the past, fear for the future, or at least I know I can. But we can trust that scripture is enough for all of life so that we can endure through whatever might come. Chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is enough for your endurance in all of life. But the noise of an always connected, always Online, busy life can block out the one voice we need to turn to every day. And it can allow a host of other voices like white noise just keep you from the one thing you need to know. But when you trust God's word and continue in what you learn from God's word and trust other faithful Christians who have the wisdom and experience to be able to help you in God's word through what you've never experienced before... That's the help we need. We can prioritize it by learning it, by trusting it. And the more we do this, we can be used by God to proclaim it to others. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preaching is announcing the scriptures with authority. Preaching is announcing God's word with authority. That's what you should expect each Sunday. But preaching is what pastors are called to do in the pulpit, but the commitment to influence one another with God's word is not an isolated responsibility. It's a commitment we all share in the unique 
relationships that you have in everyday life? What is the relationship, the responsibility where you need to recommit to prioritizing God's word? We need to commit to the priority of God's word in our small groups. Colossians 3 verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your heart. The word should be a priority in our marriages. Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, how? Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. God's word is what will set marriages apart as holy to the Lord. How about with our kids? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. How about in our personal uh, life and in our friendships? Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Blessed is the man who knocks, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. God's word is enough for our endurance. Are you prioritizing it? Are you committed to learning it? Are you turning to it when you find yourself in need? Are you using it to help others when they're in need? Prioritizing God's word means we believe it's enough and we turn there first. Unfortunately, the church does have a reputation in our society for mishandling God's word and misrepresenting God's son. See, Christian, as a representative of Jesus, you are called to share his message, but not just his message. You're called to represent his message, that's what he says, but also his methods, the way he says it. And you're called to represent Christ's character, the heart, which is coming to the conversation. How we say what we say is as important as what we say. So you may be right, but you can be totally wrong in the way that you're right if you come at it in the wrong way. So what's the right way? Scripture may be a foundation that gives our faith a firm footing, we cannot use it as a platform of self-righteousness to elevate ourselves and look down at others. And you know, maybe that's been your experience with church, watching online or here in person, and it's just taken a lot of energy to get back into the church world again because of the way that other Christians have treated you in the past with God's word. I see here um, a way in which we need to proclaim God's word in the relationships of our lives that reflects who Jesus is. Are we prioritizing this way? Followers of Jesus should influence with God's word in a responsible way. Look at the charge that Paul gives to Timothy again. In verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead 
and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. He doesn't just say preach the word. Paul reminds Timothy who he's accountable to when he preaches the word. Christian, in your relationships where you have a commitment to prioritize God's word to influence others for good, you're accountable before God for the words that you speak. Are you speaking them responsibly? We are no better or no smarter than those who disagree than us. And you're only, you are only where you are because of the grace of God that has brought you there. So with humility, we need to recognize that the message we're sharing isn't even our own message. It's God's that should create this humility within us because we're responsible before God. Followers of Jesus should also influence with God's word consistently. Be ready in season and out of season. It's finally spring, a little chilly this morning, but finally we're starting to see people creep out of their hibernation and enjoy the weather outside. I've enjoyed going out for walks this past week. A lot of people didn't enjoy doing that a couple weeks ago, though. The warmth of spring is starting to welcome us outside after the frigidness of February shut us up. But, uh, as you've noticed throughout the winter, if you're a garbage man, it doesn't matter what the weather is, you still need to go outside and do your job. And it doesn't matter if it's a frigid February or a moist July someone needs to pick up the dirty diapers at the end of my driveway. In season, out of season, they're doing their job. And for the Christian, there are seasons where we'd rather not turn to God's word because we know the obligation that it has for us. There are seasons where we'd rather turn to other things because they're more popular or because they're less taboo, but followers of Jesus should influence consistently. Prioritizing God's word is a deliberate, daily commitment, no matter what the circumstances. And God help me do that. We should influence responsibly, consistently, appropriately. Look at verse 2 again. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. These are three different ways to be able to approach people with God's word based on the circumstances that they find themselves in. Uh, my child, I uh, just got my children their first bikes yesterday. Great dad moment yesterday, seeing them ride their bikes for the first time. But my daughter's bike has one gear and her legs are very skinny. And one gear for a little skinny three-year-old works good on one terrain, flat, or maybe declined. My bike has 24 gears, and as long as my lungs and my legs can keep up, it can work in many different terrains. Often, the way that we can use God's word is inappropriate when we try to use the same blunt force trauma with the scriptures rather than listening to the appropriate way to influence with the scriptures in the appropriate time. And the way to start doing that is by listening to get to the heart. 
and then having understood what's happening in their hearts, sometimes influencing with God's word appropriately means clearly correcting a flawed thought process. Sometimes it means mending and binding a hurting soul. Sometimes it means firmly reprimanding a stubborn person. But it always starts with listening. And if it's mishandled, well, how we say what we say is as important as what we say. Responsibly, consistently, appropriately, here's the last one, patiently. The passage says that we should reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See, representing Jesus is your job, but change is God's job. And maybe the reason that you're getting frustrated with that person for not responding to the way you're trying to influence them is a subtle way of you actually trying to do God's job on your schedule. And when they're not following your schedule, all of a sudden they become an inconvenience. When we trust God to do his role, and when we see ourselves in our role, we recognize that all I can do is appropriately, consistently, and responsibly share God's word and patiently wait for God to make the change. If a financial advisor is going to help you save a retirement, the, they might tell you the best time for you to start investing is when you're young as possible, 18, 20. But then they might say, if you didn't do that, the second best time to start is now. And you know, maybe when you consider your own life and you think about these ways that we need to be prioritizing God's word, learning it, trusting it, proclaiming it, and doing that in a way that's responsible, consistent, and appropriate, you just say, I haven't done that. The best time to start is now. Learn God's word regularly, consistently, abiding in, in fellowship at church. Trust it, turn to it first when the problems come. And when you see it in others, Share in a way that represents who Jesus is, his message, his methods, his character. The right time to start is now because the times are changing. And if we're not able to see the signs of what's happening around us, the tide could very quickly and very easily sweep us away. So now having seen the ways that we need to prioritize God's word, I want to show you the reasons that we must prioritize God's word. Let's look at the rest, uh, the next part of the passage, verse 3 to 5. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Here the Apostle Paul is trying to help his young son in the faith who he's mentoring, Timothy. And he's drawing a contrast between the people that will end up filling the pews and the type of pastor that God wants him to be. And in verse 5, we see the type of pastor that Paul wants Timothy to be. He wants him to have a clear mind if he's going to fulfill his ministry. 
He wants him to have a humble heart that recognizes that as well as he tries to get prepared, suffering is still going to come and he still needs to endure it. And if he's going to fulfill his ministry, it means that he needs to be a messenger of good news for all people. That's Timothy's job. And here's your working environment, Timothy. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the context where Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. In a context where distrust is prevailing. That's the first reason that he needs to continue to preach the word. Because, and this sounds very counterintuitive, if distrust in the word is prevailing, why continue to use the thing that people will eventually distrust? You've seen it, you can see it in individuals and in organizations. Organizations, we've seen whole denominations completely compromise their commitment to God's truth. And same with individuals. And from my observation, some of the main reasons organizations and individuals do that is because of a desire to escape from the challenges and not have the trials of holding firm to our convictions that aren't well received in a postmodern world. Or they just want to uphold a good image. And they don't say uh, they don't say outwardly that they're compromising their, their convictions. They just avoid talking about it at all. But Paul tells Timothy that even though people are going to distrust it, knowing that this is the only way for people to find their dignity and their significance and to be found whole through the gospel, we cannot let it go. We need to prioritize God's word because distrust. Is, is prevailing. Our society's trust in God's word is eroding, but our commitment to it cannot shift. What we see on the outside is pretty clear. We see people accumulating teachers for themselves. We see people not listening to sound teaching. And eventually, kind of like a, a bear going in a hibernation, they slowly pull themselves out from the world and out from the church and solely draw into the world. Now, Paul says that they're not going to, what we see on the outside is that they're not going to endure sound teaching. This word sound means healthy. Healthy teaching does produce healthy results if you're willing to accept the diagnosis and the treatment. It will produce good news of great joy for all people. It will not be healthy, though, if we don't see the true diagnosis and if we're not willing to accept the proper treatment. And people turn away from sound teaching, healthy teaching, because they don't like the diagnosis of sin. They'd rather look for a second opinion to look for a problem that they don't have to take ownership for. We don't like the diagnosis and we don't like the treatment. Repentance and faith 
and obedience all mean that I need to give up control to someone else and let them guide the way that my life goes. But the good news is that if we do this, if we recognize that the problem isn't just out there, but it's in here, if we recognize that sin is the problem, that Christ died in my place, then the good news is that we will be restored to the healthy lives and the healthy soul that God created us to have. We'll be reunited into relationship with our Father. We'll be restored in dignity, restored in our sense of significance, and made whole and sound. But when we're not willing to accept the diagnosis of the treatment, we replace healthy teaching for the voice of other influencers who are just there to affirm what we want. Everything happening on the outside is really because of what's happening on the inside. Look at the text again. It says, they will accumulate teachers for themselves to suit their own passions. What kind of passions do we have that would lead us away from the good news of Jesus Christ? Well, I think Paul here has in mind the two guys who are spreading the false teaching around the church. He has in mind Hymenaeus and Philetus. And these guys, their passions, their desire was to have a position of authority and recognition as smart, wise teachers. But they didn't care how they got there, and they didn't care the damage that happened, so they embraced this errant teaching influenced by the culture, and as a result, a lot of people in the church were hurt by it. But all they wanted was position, all they wanted was authority, so they listened to their own teachers for their own purposes of their own recognition and their own honor. And I've seen that in our church before. People who jump so quickly from one obscure idea to one obscure idea without seeing the damage it does to their family, without seeing the damage just to their small groups, because all they want is to be recognized as someone important. And that happens, but I see a different kind of desire that more frequently leads people away from the truth to wander off in a midst. I remember sitting down on an early Saturday morning with a, a gentleman twice my age while I asked questions and listened to him explain why he was grateful for prosperity gospel preachers, why he was sharing it in our small group and to explain why he was dumping his entire savings into an e-commerce multi-level marketing scheme while he was living with a woman who wasn't his wife. I remember several meals with a young adult man who was just distraught and confused. And he'd lived for like 25 years near to Jesus, serving three times a week in the church. He'd always seen the trends of the culture and been curious of what it is to live that type of life And he wanted to find his sense of happiness in God, though. But one day, he found out that his close friend was living a double life, saying that he was a Christian like himself, but living that life that he was actually curious about living. And that knowledge of his friend's double life shocked him because he realized his friend, my friend's happier than I am, and he's not living for Jesus. Slowly, he started to adopt that life, too. There are other stories I have like this, too. 
things that are perplexing. Why would you embrace a teaching that is so clearly wrong? Why would you turn to a lifestyle that you know doesn't honor God's word? Why would you be led away from the truth? What, would, what in your heart would lead you away from the truth and wander off into myths? The desires in these hearts weren't so much proud and arrogance and desire for recognition. What's happening on the inside in these stories? The older gentleman, his desire was to escape suffering. And so were I if I was him. He was in a lot of pain. Canada was not his country of origin. His medical license wasn't recognized here. Work was hard to come by because of the chronic back pain that he'd have for years. And the desire to escape the suffering led him away from healthy gospel teaching and into prosperity theology teaching that said that God is just a vending machine who's going to give you what you want. He was caught in the snare of manipulative theology and a manipulative job. And he wanted to get as rich as he can as quick as he could, but he knew that his, age, his years were fading and he had a son and grandkids who he barely knew back home in his country of origin and he really wanted to go see him. And he was divorced and needed a place to live and wanted companionship, so he justified living with a woman who we know wasn't right. He accumulated teachers to suit his own passions that led him away from the truth. My younger friend, who's around my age, he wanted to be happy. And man, so do I. And the confusion of seeing his friend's double life and thinking that, how is he happy, but I'm trying to live with integrity, made him feel like something was missing. He wanted to be whole. He wanted a sense of dignity. He wanted a sense of significance. But eventually our discussions turned from the heart level questions to intellectual questions. And he started asking questions about how can we believe the Bible when the culture says this? How can we believe the science, this of the Bible when science says that? But what I began to recognize was that his intellectual confusion was really just like a moat around the castle guarding what he didn't want to process and the confusion and the pain in his heart. He wanted a sense of happiness, but he started to accumulate teachers and influence to sit, suit his own desires. And maybe you've experienced things like that before. You have unresolved pain in your heart that is now clouded with fog and they've built this moat around you that is keeping Jesus out. Or you have pain and suffering that you, you, you just want to escape from and you can't see God's goodness in it and it's leading you away from the truth. Here's where these men missed what God the hope God could offer them. They didn't look at Jesus as a person anymore. They looked at him as a therapist or as a life coach. They didn't see him as a suffering servant who actually understood exactly what they were going through. Jesus is not just a topic to debate. He is a person to know. Jesus suffered worse than any other person did before him. And he is able to empathize with the pain that we experience. We have different degrees of suffering, different degrees of pain, but the marks on his hands are the proof that he knows what you've gone through. 
and he wants to help walk with you through it. At the most agonizing moments of his life, when he was wandering in the wilderness, when he was praying in agony before he was crucified, when he was nailed to the cross, at these most agonizing moments in his life, you can hear scripture on his lips. God's word was enough for Christ to endure through suffering. But in, in, in the fog of our pain or our suffering now and our desire just to be happy or just to escape it, we turn Jesus into a therapist or a life coach and forget he's a suffering servant. And he knows what you're going through. And he empathizes with it. And he wants you to let down the drawbridge so he can come to your heart and walk with you through the pain. And it's there where we are vulnerable before God when he sees our heart's desires for what they are that we can see his goodness and his grace and we can endure through him. God's word is enough. Are you prioritizing it? Distrust is prevailing. But here's the second reason we need to prioritize God's word. A reward is coming. And let's close with these last verses. Verse 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, when we suffer with Christ, we have the hope that we will be glorified with Christ. Romans 8, verse 16 to 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. See, Paul wrote this, and Paul knew that his time was coming up. He was right near the end. But there were times where he really felt like giving up. He told the Philippian church that once that he'd rather be with Christ than here on earth. He told the Thessalonian church that he got so low that he despaired of life itself. But he chose, even though he got there, to still fight the good fight, to still run the race, to still keep the faith because he believed what was coming ahead of him. He could endure because of the truth of God's word that a reward was coming the reward of everlasting life and the crown of righteousness is waiting for you. And Christ himself will present it to you as a victor when we endure with him. And with our eyes fixed on that goal, the reward can allow us to endure through the pain that we experience today. God's word is enough for us to endure but we need to be prioritizing it. Let's stand and pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the hope that we have that we will reign with Christ. Thank you for the crown of righteousness that is awaiting for us that he will award to us on the day of his return. Lord, would you help us? Help us understand what our hearts feel, what our minds think. 
Help us to recognize where our own passions and our own desires are leading us away from healthy teaching and are leading us into myths that will take us away from the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that your word is sufficient. Lord, would we set our mind there in your word? Would we set our mind forward on your return? And would it give us hope to endure today? In Jesus' name, amen.